Chapter 6 of In the Heart of Africa by Samuel White Baker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Preparations for Advance. The time was approaching when the grass throughout the country would be sufficiently dry to be fired. We accordingly prepared for our expedition, but it was first necessary for me to go to Catariff, sixty miles distant to engage men and to procure a slave in place of old Masara, whose owner would not trust her in the wild region we were about to visit. I engaged six strong tokruris for five months and purchased a slave woman for thirty-five dollars. The name of the woman was Baraka. She was about twenty-two years of age, brown in complexion, fat and strong, rather tall, and altogether she was a fine, powerful-looking woman, but decidedly not pretty. Her hair was elaborately dressed in hundreds of long, narrow curls, so thickly smeared with castor oil that the grease had covered her naked shoulders. In addition to this, as she had been recently under the hands of a hairdresser, there was an amount of fat and other nastiness upon her head that gave her the appearance of being nearly gray. Through the medium of Mahomet, I explained to her that she was no longer a slave, as I had purchased her freedom, that she would not even be compelled to remain with us, but she could do so as she thought proper, that both her mistress and I should be exceedingly kind to her, and we would subsequently find her a good situation in Cairo. In the meantime, she would receive good clothes and wages. This Mahomet, much against his will, was obliged to translate literally. The effect was magical. The woman, who had looked frightened and unhappy, suddenly beamed with smiles and without any warning, she ran toward me, and in an instant I found myself embraced in her loving arms. She pressed me to her bosom and smothered me with castor-oily kisses while her greasy ringlets hung upon my face and neck. How long this entertainment would have lasted, I cannot tell, but I was obliged to cry, Kaffa, Kaffa, enough, enough. It looked improper, and the perfumery was too rich. Fortunately, my wife was present, but she did not appear to enjoy it more than I did. My snow-white blouse was soiled and greasy, and for the rest of the day I was a disagreeable compound of smells. Castor oil, tallow, musk, sandalwood, burnt shells and baraka mahomet and baraka herself i believe were the only people who really enjoyed this little event ha mahomet exclaimed this is your own fault you insisted upon speaking kindly and telling her that she is not a slave now she thinks that she is one of your wives this was the real fact the unfortunate baraka had deceived herself Never having been free, she could not understand the use of freedom unless she was to be a wife. She had understood my little address as a proposal, and of course she was disappointed, but as an action for breach of promise cannot be pressed in the Sudan, poor Baraka, although free, had not the happy rights of a free-born Englishwoman who can heal her broken heart with a pecuniary plaster and console herself with damages for the loss of a lover. We were ready to start, having our party of servants complete. Six Tukaris, Musa, Abdullahi, Abarakman, Hassan, Adal, and Hajali, with Mohammed, 
Wat Gama, Bachit, Mohammed Secundus, a groom, and Baraka. Total, eleven men and the cook. When halfway on a return from Katarif to Wat El Nagur, we found the whole country in alarm, McNimmer having suddenly made a foray. He had crossed the Atbara, plundered the district, and driven off large numbers of cattle and camels after having killed a considerable number of people. No doubt the reports were somewhat exaggerated, but the inhabitants of the district were flying from their villages with their herds and were flocking to Katarif. We arrived at Wak el Nagur on the 3rd of December, and we now felt the advantage of our friendship with the good Sheikh Ahmed, who, being a friend of Meknimmer, had saved our effects during the absence. These would otherwise have been plundered as the robbers had paid him a visit. He had removed our tents and baggage to his own house for protection. Not only had he thus protected our effects, but he had taken the opportunity of delivering the polite message to Meknimmer that I had entrusted to his charge, expressing a wish to pay him a visit as a countryman and friend of Mr. Mansfield Parkins, who had formerly been so well received by his father. My intention was to examine thoroughly all the great rivers of Abyssinia that were tributaries to the Nile. These were the Setite, Royan, Angrab, Salam, Rahad, Dinder, and the Blue Nile. If possible, I should traverse the Gala country, and, crossing the Blue Nile, I should endeavor to reach the White Nile. But this latter idea I subsequently found impracticable, as it would have interfered with the proper season for my projected journey up the White Nile in search of the sources. The Hamram Arabs were at this time encamped about 25 miles from Wat el Nagur. I sent a messenger, accompanied by Mahomet, to the sheikh, with the firman of the viceroy, requesting him to supply me with elephant hunters, agagirs. During the absence of Mahomet, I received a very polite message from Meknimmer, accompanied by a present of 20 pounds of coffee, with an invitation to pay him a visit. His country lay between the Setite River and the Bar Salam. Thus, without his invitation, I might have found it difficult to traverse his territory. So far, all went well. I returned my salams and set word that we intended to hunt through the base country, after which we should have the honor of passing a few days with him on our road to the River Salam, at which place we intended to hunt elephants and rhinoceroses. Mohammed returned, accompanied by a large party of Hamram Arabs, including several hunters, one of whom was Sheikh Abu Do Rasul, the nephew of Sheikh Owet. As his name in full was too long, he generally went by the abbreviation of Abu Do. He was a splendid fellow, a little above six feet one, with a light, active figure, but exceedingly well-developed muscles. His face was strikingly handsome, his eyes were like those of a giraffe, but the sudden glance of an eagle lighted them up with a flash during the excitement of conversation, which showed little of the giraffe's gentle character. Abu Do was the only tall man of the party. The others were of middle height, with the exception of a little fellow named Jolly, who was not above five feet four inches, but wonderfully muscular, and in expression a regular daredevil. There were two parties of hunters among the Hamram Arabs, one under Abu Do and the other consisting of four brothers sheriff. 
the latter were the most celebrated aggregators among the renowned tribe of the hamran their father and grandfather had been mighty nimrods and the broadswords wielded by their strong arms had descended to the men who now upheld the prestige of the ancient blades the eldest was tahir sharif his second brother roder sharif was a very small active-looking man with a withered left arm an elephant had at one time killed his horse and on the same occasion had driven its sharp tusk through the arm of the rider completely splitting the limb and splintering the bone from the elbow joint to the wrist to such an extent that by degrees the fragments had sloughed away and the arm had become shriveled and withered it now resembles a mass of dried leather twisted into a deformity without the slightest shape of an arm this was about fourteen inches in length from the shoulder the stiff and crippled hand with contracted fingers resembled the claw of a vulture in spite of his maimed condition roder sharif was the most celebrated leader in the elephant hut his was the dangerous post to ride close to the head of the infuriated animal and provoke the charge and then to lead the elephant in pursuit while the agagirs attacked it from behind it was in the performance of this duty that he had met with the accident as his horse had fallen over some hidden obstacle and was immediately caught being an exceedingly lightweight he had continued to occupy this important position in the hunt and the rigid fingers of the left hand served as a hook upon which he could hang the reins my battery of rifles was now laid upon a mat for examination they were in beautiful condition and they excited the admiration of the entire party the perfection of workmanship did not appear to interest them so much as the size of the boars they thrust their fingers down each muzzle till at last they came to the baby when finding that two fingers could be easily introduced they at once fell in love with that rifle in particular on the seventeenth of august accompanied by the german florian we said good-bye to our kind friend sheik achmet and left wat el nagur at gira early in daybreak several arabs arrived with a report that elephants had been drinking in the river within a half hour's march of our sleeping place i immediately started with my men accompanied by florian and we shortly arrived upon the tracks of the herd i had three hamrab arabs as trackers one of whom tahernur had engaged to accompany us throughout the expedition for about eight miles we followed the spoor through the high dried grass and thorny bush until we at length arrived at a dense jungle of kitar the most formidable of the hooked thorn mimosas here the tracks appeared to wander some elephants having travelled straight ahead while others had strayed to the right and the left for about two hours we travelled upon the circuitous tracks of the elephants to no purpose when we suddenly were startled by the shrill trumpeting of one of these animals in the thick thorns a few hundred yards to our left the ground was so intensely hard and dry that it was impossible to distinguish the new tracks from the old which crossed and recrossed in all directions i therefore decided to walk carefully among the outskirts of the jungle trusting to find their place of interest by the fresh broken boughs in about an hour we had thus examined two or three miles without discovering a clue to their recent path when we turned round a clump of bushes and suddenly came in view of two grand elephants standing at the edge of the dense thorns having our wind they vanished instantly into the thick jungle 
we could not follow them as their course was downwind we therefore made a circuit to leeward for about a mile and finding that the elephants had not crossed in that direction we felt sure that we must come upon them with the wind in our favor should they still be within the thorny jungle this was certain as it was their favorite retreat with the greatest labor i led the way creeping frequently upon my hands and knees to avoid the hooks of the kitter bush and occasionally listening for a sound at length after upward of an hour passed in this slow and fatiguing advance i distinctly heard the flap of an elephant's ear shortly followed by the deep guttural sigh of one of those animals within a few paces but so dense was the screen of jungle that i could see nothing we waited for some minutes but not the slightest sound could be heard the elephants were aware of danger and they were like ourselves listening attentively for the first intimation of an enemy this was a highly exciting moment should they charge there would not be a possibility of escape as the hooked thorns rendered any sudden movement almost impracticable in another moment there was a tremendous crash and with a sound like a whirlwind the herd dashed through the crackling jungle i rushed forward as i was uncertain whether they were in advance or retreat leaving a small sample of my nose upon a kitar thorn and tearing my way with naked arms through what in cold blood would have appeared impassable i caught sight of two elephants leading across my path with the herd following in a dense mass behind them firing a shot at the leading elephant simply in the endeavor to check the herd i repeated with the left-hand barrel at the head of his companion this staggered him and he threw the main body into confusion they immediately closed up in a dense mass and bore everything before them but the herd exhibited merely an impenetrable array of hindquarters wedged together so firmly that it was impossible to obtain a head or shoulder shot I was within fifteen paces of them, and so compactly were they packed that with all their immense strength they could not at once force so extensive a front through the tough and powerful branches of the dense kitar. For about half a minute they were absolutely checked, and they bored forward with all their might in their determination to open a road through the matted thorns. The elastic boughs, spent from their position, sprang back with dangerous force, and would have fractured the skull of any one who came within their sweep a very large elephant was on the left flank and for an instant he turned obliquely to the left i quickly seized the opportunity and fired the baby with an explosive shell aimed far back in the flank trusting that it would penetrate beneath the opposite shoulder the recoil of the baby loaded with ten drams of the strongest powder and a half pound shell spun me around like a top it was difficult to say which was staggered the more severely the elephant or myself however we both recovered and i seized one of my double rifles a riley number ten that was quickly pushed into my hand by my tukrari Hajj ali this was done just in time as the elephant from the battled herd turned sharply around and with its immense ears cocked charged down upon us with a scream of rage one of us she must have if i miss this was the first downright charge of an African elephant that I had seen, and instinctively I followed my old salon plan of waiting for a close shot. She lowered her head when within about six yards, and I fired low for the center of the forehead, exactly in the swelling above the root of the trunk. She collapsed to the shot, 
and fell dead with a heavy shock upon the ground. At the same moment, the thorny barrier gave way before the pressure of the herd, and the elephants disappeared in the thick jungle through which it was impossible to follow them. I had suffered terribly from the hooked thorns, and the men had likewise. This has been a capital trial for my two crowries, who had behaved remarkably well, and had gained much confidence by my successful forehead shot at the elephant when in full charge. But I must confess that this is the only instance in which I have succeeded in killing an African elephant by the front shot, though I have steadily tried the experiment on subsequent occasions. We had very little time to examine the elephant, as we were far from home and the sun was already low. I felt convinced that the other elephant could not be far off, after having received the baby's half-pound shell carefully directed, and I resolved to return on the following morning with many people and camels to divide the flesh. It was dark by the time we arrived at the tents, and the news immediately spread through the Arab camp that two elephants had been killed. On the following morning we started, and upon arrival at the dead elephant, we followed the tracks of that wounded by the baby. The blood upon the bushes guided us in a few minutes to the spot where the elephant lay dead at about three hundred yards distance. The whole day passed in flaying the two animals and cutting off the flesh, which was packed in large gum sacks with which the camels were loaded. I was curious to examine the effect of the half-pound shell. It had entered the flank on the right side, breaking the rib upon which it exploded. It had then passed through the stomach and the lower portion of the lungs, both of which were terribly shattered, and breaking one of the foreribs on the left side, it had lodged beneath the skin of the shoulder. This was irresistible work, and the elephant had evidently dropped in a few minutes after having received this shell. A most interesting fact had occurred. I noticed an old wound, unhealed and full of matter in the front of the left shoulder. The bowels were shot through and were green in various places. Florian suggested that it must be an elephant that I had wounded at Wat el Nagur. We tracked the course of the bullet most carefully until we at length discovered my unmistakable bullet of quicksilver and lead, almost uninjured in the fleshy part of the thigh, embedded in an unhealed wound. Thus, by a curious chance, upon my first interview with African elephants by daylight, I had killed the identical elephant that I had wounded at Wat el Nagur forty-three days before in the Dura plantation, twenty-eight miles distant. End of chapter 6